0: friends. This is Ian McKenzie, and I'm delighted to welcome you to this special edition of The Mythic Masculine, which was actually recorded last week as a solar session through the School of Mythopoetics. Now, if you're not familiar with the school, it's a platform, a community, uh, a place that I co-founded along with others, uh, which actually grew out of The Mythic Masculine. Uh, Initially, it was known as The Mythic Masculine Network, which again came through the, uh, the podcast, folks that were interested in you know, deepening with what they were learning here, joined together, uh, connected with each other. And through that evolution, uh, and I think this listening to uh, maybe the wider lens of myth, story, ritual, culture, astrology, the school grew to become the school of mythopoetics. And what we do now for our scholars is that uh, each solar season, which is paired with the uh, current astrology sign uh, for that solar season, We pair that with an archetype, and then we invite a master teacher on to to riff, to discuss, uh, to just explore that archetype. Those conversations are done live um, with anyone's welcome to attend, and then afterwards the recording goes to the living library within the school. Now this particular session is uh, Capricorn paired with the archetype of the provider. And in this, uh, I've invited a friend of mine, Charles Suwa Singh, uh, and we riff uh, in many areas around this this archetype, this theme, especially around fatherhood and what does it mean to be a provider, uh, mythically and sort of contemporarily in these times. Now, I thought, given the subject matter, it would be of uh, interest as well to those of you here listening on the Mythic Masculine Podcast. And so I've included the conversation here in full. Greetings, friends. This is the first solar session of the new year. New Year's upon us, and um, I'm delighted to, in a moment, welcome our guest to to come on to speak around the current solar theme uh, and the archetype. But jo- just for those of you who have just joined us, uh, or maybe have just heard about the School of Mythopoetics, uh, this is a it's a place to come together with like-hearted kin around these themes of astrology, mythology, ritual, culture, uh, story, and um, part of what we do is each solar uh, theme, which we do as part of the procession uh, of, through the Zodiac, that we invite in one, an astro-mythic telling, which is done by our uh, resident athromy- astro-mythic uh, writers, including uh, Daniel Robert, as well as Ben Murphy. And they offer that each, each uh, solar session to our scholars. Um, it's sort of a sort of a wondering and a transmission around this particular uh, theme, this, this archetype and this um, solar theme. And so we like to pair that with a, a guest, a special guest that comes in. And then we use that as a jump off point to jam on these, on the solar theme uh, and the archetype. And now we are in the archetype uh, of the provider, which has been paired with Capricorn in the solar season of Capricorn. Uh, and so all of these, uh, are offered freely as a gift to to the you and those that uh, choose to tune in uh, to join us live as we jam and riff on this topic. And then the recording is made available in the school itself uh, for scholars to continually work with, to connect with each other and to dive in uh, more deeply. So this includes now uh, almost a full year of these uh, solar sessions available with master teachers such as uh, Stephen Jenkinson, and Bo Huntress and others that uh, are really beautiful archive around these different wonderings. Uh, And so without further ado, I'm delighted to welcome our guest today. Oh, I should mention actually before we dive in that uh, you are welcome as you live, as you're tuning in live to leave your comments, uh, your questions. It helps us as we go in our conversation uh, to track, you know, what's, what's resonating, what's landing, and then at different points, We'll be able to bring in your comments uh, and your questions to respond live here in our session. So, I'm delighted to now welcome Charles Su Wasing, who's a leadership coach, um, facilitator, guide with a focus on conscious leadership and practicing safe conversations. He's a self described seeker for divine wisdom. His curiosities include art, music, religion, cultural traditions, and ceremonies mythology, science, psychology, and social justice issues. In 2022, he started a virtual men's group for men of color. They gather weekly for his open jam sessions where they talk about life as black, brown, and mixed-race men living in a white-dominant culture. Charles is also a longtime scholar at the Orphan Wisdom School, As Am I, which was started by Stephen Jenkinson and his wife, Natalie Roy. And so, welcome, Charles. Thank you good to see you yeah i uh i'm excited to have this excuse really to talk with you and to jam with you in ways that uh you know have often happened within the school uh itself mm-hmm. you know over the years and uh and yeah this is a particular mm, jump off point uh mm-hmm. you know and and i'm again i'm delighted to say that you said yes because first of all before we you know just get right in i would be curious too when you heard this invitation when this invitation came to you to speak about Capricorn and the provider, the archetype of the provider, where did your mind go? Where did your wondering go uh, Mm. that allowed you to say, "Okay, yeah, let's do this?
1: I'm not really sure. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's a good question to start with. Um, But I'm always in reflection of my role as father, as provider, and especially in the day and age of what it is to provide, what it is to father. And um, I would I would make the, well, it's not that the, I make the case, my children have made the case that my years of fathering is, is uh, slowly winding down and coming to an end. So now I'm reimagining, okay, what's my role now? Mm-hmm. Um, so to have this conversation is quite a curiosity for me, what it is to provide.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, let's read a little bit of... Um this uh, uh, the session as I said the the solar theme which is provided by uh, Daniel and Ben within the school and um, let's talk a little bit about the archetype or the sort of the solar astrology uh, symbology of the cap of Capricorn because this is I think a helpful way of also giving a bit of context and so for me as well I'm not at all you know well versed in this which is why I love these transmissions that come in through the school where I learn a ton. Um, But I love this little bit here. I'm just gonna read a little and this will help us also set the stage. So uh, archetypally Capricorn is the father, the elder, the hermit and the CEO. He is the sea goat, one who swims in deepest oceans and climbs the highest peaks. The personality is determined, focused, persevering and enduring. Uh, Cap sits in opposition to cancer which they paired with the nurturer on the Zodiac wheel. One whose focus is on the inner world, the subjective, the inner life of the family and the children. And yet Capricorn is the father. He serves the family as well, but his focus is outward. The public life, the objective world, the shared dream of society and the world. And here we discover the provider and the quality of contribution. Uh, This is the sign of work, yes, but in the deepest sense, he speaks to the soul's work not just one's job or role. So I'll leave it there for just a moment. But, uh, you know, for me, as I read that as well, there is something um, around this sense of the, what does it mean to tend or to provide or to be the the conduit in a way to the outside? And, you know, I'll share this too with, I'm a father as well, uh, young, still quite a young father, four-year-old, you know, I have a son. And um, and I really feel that in a sense, uh, this, this quality or this um, gateway in a way to the outer world. Whereas at least in the relationship that I have with my partner, that there's, there are qualities of one might say in some ways, you know, I don't want to say archetypally or, or gender specific of uh, that. My partner often is the one tending the inner life of the family at home and also has other creative conduits and ways of, you know, contributing, contributing to the world. And yet, I find myself often again, like this one, who's tending the outer, and you know, part of me wonders again: is that is that archetypal? Is that gender prescriptive? Is this you know patriarchy? These are all these questions of you know how do we um, make sense of all that? And for you, maybe I'll just start with as you became a father, maybe way back when, as you as you named, uh, what was that for you? You know, was it you know yes excited? Was it you know, complete surprise? Was it, I'm totally not ready? Uh, maybe we could start there. Of What was it to approach becoming a father for you?
1: Um, when, when, when my daughter was born, up until then, my life was just me. It was just myself and my wife at the time. And, you know, you you plan your career, you create a home, um, but we're just two people married, you know, in, in sharing space together. Um, there was something that shifted on all levels for me when my daughter came into the world, and the closest word I can come to is fatherhood. Um, it, it's 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 a function. It's it's a position. It is purpose. It uh, it's it is life changing. It's shifting, all in that in that micro moment when my my daughter came into the world and I was not prepared for that at all, but, um, and I, and I'm not sure what prepared would have looked like anyway. You know, you read all the books and you you ask advice and everything like this, but when your daughter or your child comes into the world, you're no longer an individual. You're no longer living just for yourself. Right. Mm. Um, and everything in my sphere changed the paradigm in which i was living and shifted so radically it was disorienting in the beginning there was fear it was anxiety there was love there was purpose um all of them in the mix like how am i to prove you know we're going to talk about providership you know being a provider how am i going to provide for this one and yeah, my orientation wasn't so much about you know okay how do i feed her, per se. Um, But how was I going to um, manifest in which something in which she could be fed? Mm -hmm. If that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but, um, yeah, just pause Mm -hmm. there for now.
0: Yeah. And when you say to be to be fed or to manifest, uh, you know, for me, how that came online as well was Yeah. I mean, you say orientation changed or your paradigm changed. And I do feel like that it's hard to explain, I think, to those folks that maybe not that they necessarily have to biologically have children, but at least their orbit has shifted to all of a sudden be uh, to be responsible in a way that, you know, can really take one by surprise. And, you know, I've been part of uh, men's circles where this gateway into fatherhood is also um, held or, or, It's like a death ceremony also has to be uh, enacted for that man who was as he steps into fatherhood, because there is, you know, as much as there's a, you know, yeah, of course, joyful blessing, bounty, you know, all that stuff is in there should one be bestowed or or entrusted with a child. And yet at the same time, there's a death there, which is the death of who you were. And that is not uh, automatic right? Like any deaths, uh, let's say mythically, uh, that it's not automatic. Like one doesn't give it up willingly, right? Often. And, and it can take a while. And sometimes actually men never give that up, that they're, you know, their old self as they father. And of course mm-hmm. there's all sorts of calamity that, it, you know, amounts to that um, mm-hmm. abdication of certain, you know, necessary roles uh, for the child, uh, certain modeling, you know, all these things like the the absent father <clears throat> seems to be a, a a sort of common archetype, right? In so many so many fairy stories as well, actually. So there's something around this um, nece- ne- or necessity to recognize it to and actually, yeah, to put down consciously, right? That old self, and uh, I wonder how that might have happened for you. As again, was it something that you know became a struggle or was a struggle for some time to come? You know, I've heard it takes a year or two even to like wake up to the fact, right? Like, wait a second, I'm a father now. Um, Again, often perhaps without those kind of ceremonial markers of that moment.
1: Well, you know, I look at my fatherhood and the moment I became a father was my was a initiatory in its own right. Right. It's a rite of passage for a man to become a father. And it's one thing that is not up to It's not essentially up to your doing right there's big question marks on what makes a father a father whether it's biologically socially culturally all these things so yeah you might see a child come into the world but that's not really the essential determination that you are or that child's father because there's so many things in the space right now that's subjective and or in the decision whether or not you are the father of a child um but when i when I witnessed my daughter coming to the world, yeah, it was transformative. It was, it was transitional. It was initiatory. It was all of it. It wrecked my world with so much love, let me tell you this, and fear at the same time. Um, but I also see with some men, many men, um, they're not prepared. They're not ready for that shift. And I'm not saying that I was I, I figured it all out in the moment that she was born, but I I was up I was like you know what yeah I'm I'm up for this on whatever it's going to require of me. Um, this is what I was hoping for. This is what I was dreaming about for so so many years of my life is to be a father and to experience fatherhood. Um, but I think for for many men right now, or even men and women, I think this idea of caretaking for a child is taken for granted in the sense that it's just something you do. Mm -hmm. Um, And the magnitude of it um, is lost. Um, It's just something you do, um, which I think has an impact on how you
0: raise your child. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about provider then as well, more specifically that, you know, you read the solar uh, solar session transmission as well. Yeah. And there's this, you know, we, he speaks to the provider and there's a couple of examples I could launch off of as well, but, uh, you know, either feel free to reference one point or two, you know, that, that did yeah. That got you. Yeah. You want to go there next?
1: Yeah. I think there was, there was one thing that really, um, and I don't have the script in front of me here, but it was the provider mistaking himself for what is provided and not the function of the provide thing right? Mm-hmm. That in itself, the father is the thing that they're providing, instead of what is need to be provided for the sake of the child. Mm. Right? And, you know, I think there's part of that, that's, 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 um, for me, when I read that, It's like, yeah, there's a lot of ego in the sense of, okay, I'm, the, I'm, I'm the father now, you need me. Versus what do I bring? Mm. Versus what is my function? Um, and that's where I was curious about that particular language that um, in that script was used it's like yeah wait okay I'm not necessarily the thing that my child needs mm. but what'm what is what am I bringing to the table what am i nurturing what am i contributing to my children mm. um, and it's not necessarily me um, but it could be my wisdom, it could be my virtue, it could be my lessons learned, it could be whatever my work is to bring in. And so, well, it's the, it's like the, it's like the, um, and this is what I was wondering about: is it what I contribute from my work is
0: what I'm providing, not me?
1: Hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's interesting. So I have the passage here as well, which we could, uh, mm-hmm. we could also, you know, read. Yeah, yeah, and. Please. One, yeah well, I mean one, one thing I want to mention too is the so maybe maybe too to set the stage of provider as I mean as we you know mythic astrology aside if, if we just had a you know conversation at the bar what would generally in this culture what would how, where would we go right if we talk about the idea of providing right and oftentimes there would be associated uh, uh an element of pride right to be a provider right, to be a breadwinner, um, that there's something interesting, even, you know, I even thought of that, why is the term breadwinning, right, mm. to win bread, to win bread yeah. is, is the, I mean, it's a simple symbol, symbolic image, of course, right, mm-hmm. uh, and it's different even than this idea, of, you know, meat winning, like, you know, imagine they said, I'm the meat winner, right, yeah. that, that could be, sounds a bit odd, but that could yeah. also be a kind of form of sustenance. But there's right. a bread, right? Why is it bread? And I mean, uh, my understanding of the uh, old way of bread making, right? Mm-hmm. That, that I think that that would accrue. Maybe you might know more about it, but that might be a symbol of a kind of, yeah, a kind of uh, civilized providership, or maybe civil providing in, in civilization. Maybe that's what. Yeah. Right? Yeah, um, but
1: I, I think the thing about that term, that language about bread winning or breadwinner. It's more about the person who is going out getting the bread than the bread itself. Hmm. And I think that's what I was taught getting to it's like, is it the bread? Or is it my function? Right? Is it who I am as a human being in relationship to something to someone? But is it about but for me, it's like, it's the bread. That's what you. That's the role hmm. of the provider is to bring the bread right but i find that term so ego so self directed or ego directed or whatever it's like no yeah i'm the i'm the breadwinner respect me mm. right and yeah, i think that's where it, that might get confused
0: yeah well then uh uh karen just in the chat as well said you know or being a winner right so this is interesting right that yeah. to win well, bread yeah. as a competition yeah. right so when did right. nourishment become a competition i mean we could wonder about that
1: Right. Well, if there's a winner, there's got to be, you know, there's got to be something on the other side of that, right? Right. If well, this, there's a winner, yeah, this, there's got to be something else. So you can get into that whole thing.
0: Yeah. Well, this is interesting. So here's a couple of threads that I think could be, you know, fascinating to go down. So one, there's a, a passage, I believe, when Jesus is tempted, right, by Satan. And this is something we haven't touched on in the Orphan Wisdom School. Whereas I believe uh, Satan tempts Jesus to say, you know, turn these, I, I can turn these these stones into bread, right? There's something around that. Uh, and Jesus yes. says, no, you know, I won't do that. Um, and there's something around this sense of what's already happened by which bread winning and winning in a sense of competition as in competing with your fellows, right? Becomes like, that's, a, that's the pride, that's the achievement. So like, what is it? What has to happen whereby people become in competition with themselves, uh, right? Where does village mindedness when you're basically in the arena of, you know, get yours before somebody else does, right? Which doesn't seem a village understanding to me, right? Mm. Uh, And so Mm. that unquestioned, that to me seems the mark of an unquestioned uh, happening within a civilizational context where people have been put in competition with each other right and yeah. therefore the mark of bread winning becomes a prize becomes a mark of status within mm-hmm. the competition hierarchy right of of mm-hmm. lack mm-hmm. Uh, that isn't guaranteed right mm-hmm. when there's so much there's like competition scarcity and you know, all the mm-hmm. rest so this is something mm-hmm. i think worth just surfacing mm-hmm.
1: and i think to you know to add to what you're saying is it's competence driven right whether I'm competent enough to win that bread right so to what degree am I competent or seen as skillful or competent in in winning that in 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 being a winner right and the other part of it that is and this is where it um where I was going before that fatherhood there's a question at the end of that in a sense what cost what how do I deserve the right to be called a father because if I ain't winning the bread If I'm seen as not winning the bread, guess what happens? Then my fatherhood becomes a question mark. Mm -hmm. Did I deserve that title? It's not just biological. I've got to earn that.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Right? Especially in this day and age. It's not a given that I'm a father. Right? Yeah.
0: Interesting. I mean, you know, it also brings up to me, which I understand to be a deep um, driver of a kind of anxiety-driven need to provide, uh, right in a in a cultural time when it does seem that you know there's scarcity rising, that there is a uh, a deep depression that will accrue. I'll just speak to men for a second to to a man or to a father, right, who cannot provide, right? There's shame, there's depression, right? That's basically you know if you you can't provide, oh, you know that's like a real uh, fail, right? Within within a culture of competence. Like, as you've just named.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, like, I think, yeah, if I was to speak to the men that I work with, right? Yeah. This is, this is a really hard thing to contend with is that, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a given a mother is a given you've birthed a child in the world that, that there is a given you can't question that, but you can question fatherhood. You can question the father and whether or not he's earned the right to be called a father, whether it's the way he shows up in the midst of his children or how he shows up in the world, right? Is he, is he competent enough? Is he driven enough? Is he performing enough? Is he expanding his world in all these things come into question, right? So it is, there is a performative aspect to it. At least nowadays it is. Um, and you know, When I look at the word fatherhood itself versus father, father being very singular. Mm. Fatherhood is not, for me, it's not singular. It's like a belonging to something of a community of men or a community of fathers. But where does that exist now? Mm. How does that show up now? Mm -hmm. Right? When you say fatherhood, to me, that means I'm belonging to something bigger than myself too. Right? Mm. But how does that show up? When we're really contending for ourselves, right? Mm. Yeah. So that comes up for me as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. Thank you. You know, it reminds me of my conversation with Bio Komalafe, where we spoke about this fathering as well. And I think he he used the phrase that fatherhood is a is a community, or fatherhood is like a, a communal endeavor. Um, and as I've stepped more so in to spaces and and circles with other fathers of which I've either participated in or helped uh, guide that that has become more and more apparent to me, right? That the need for other fathers to reflect, you know, back you, back at you behaviors say that, you know, are less than stellar, right. Of, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, that can show up that often do show up uh, mm-hmm. being human and also to model different ways of fathering, right. In a way that, like this idea, again, uh, a sort of solo competence that you should know, one should know how to, how to do it, you know, without a kind of ongoing process of mirroring, reflection, modeling, you know, from Mm -hmm. other fathers. And even the fact that, you know, you as a singular father will have your own flavor, I think of Mm -hmm. fathering, right. Uh, Mm -hmm. And that others, other fathers will have other flavors. And, you know, isn't it great in a context of village mindedness where, Children are exposed to multiple flavors of fathering uh, that, you know, again, kind of alleviate the pressure of, of you single father being all those things. Right. That, that like singular uh, monolithic uh, God figure, really, I think, to a child. Right. Which can also lead to um, disillusionment later on. Right. Of course, when you turn out to be just human. But uh, I see that as kind of good design when when there's other examples of fathering around, Mm -hmm. like for my son as well, where he can get Mm -hmm. multiple bouts of Mm -hmm. flavor and and perspective Mm -hmm. and support. Mm -hmm. So
1: this reminds me, like, I'll share a little story about how I grew up, right? Um, One, I grew up in a multi-generational family, in a house of multi-generations, right? So I have myself, my my sister, um, my mother, my father, and my grandparents live with us um and and i think even in this in this in the story here you talk about the father living in the outside world he's got to go out there and contend with the outside world while the mother deals with the inner world um i also had a grandfather was a stay-at-home grandfather he he is you know a long time retired so when my father was out there breadwinning you know, I had the blessing of actually watching my grandfather. So the two of them, unconsciously, whether were aware of it or not, I saw a communion of fatherhood there. Mm. Um, it's unfortunate, though, that in our culture now, especially when you look at forget about just a nuclear family, but we're living in hybrid families. We're living in broken families. we're living in we're living in a culture of single parent families. Mm. That's mm. very rare to see two men collaborating on what it is to father children Mm. consciously or unconsciously, especially in the neighborhood that I grew up, grow up in. Right. And I think that's a, I think that's a crisis for men, right. Um, Mm. Not to be able to see men in plural working together to raise children. Right. Um, This whole idea that, you know, you know yeah like decide this 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 way we live in which men disappear most of the days most of the hours of a day to go to work and then they come home and the child only experiences a very brief moment of their father's love concern you know passion whatever it is or whatever energy they have left Hmm. right i think um was, I think there was a quote I heard, I'm going to paraphrase it, I might even brutalize it. Right. But it's, you know, I think it was by Robert Bly, who wrote something to the extent of, you know, what the child receives at the end of the day, when the father returns, is their temperament, not their teaching.
0: Yeah, that's it.
1: Did I get I think I got close to that? Yeah, right. So whatever resources the father has left is what the child receives which for some could be very little, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I grew up with a multi-generational family. I was able to benefit In fact, my grandfather was home when I got home, regardless of when my dad got there,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? So, and I, I think that's a poverty in our time when we live in these smaller families or single parent families, there's a poverty in that multi-generational learning or experience.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. It's a beautiful image. I picture you as a young boy, and yeah, grandpa's there, and I mean, and then time—I was, you know, I assume time on his hands, like the grandfather, in a way that yeah, the man. parent doesn't, right? The, that the parent out there, you know, making it happen and bringing support, you know, and, yeah, and, yeah, it's just good design right? <laughs> when you think.
1: Yeah, about it. I think that's what they supposed to be, right? Yeah, yeah, I
0: think
1: that's the way it's supposed to be.
0: Well, you—I'm glad you brought up that Bly quote as well, because that certainly too is one of the. Um, I think, truths of what it means to be maniacally bound to a culture of momentum. Right. And, you know, this this could be a, a bit of a, a maybe a tangent or a little side path. But, you know, I'm intrigued to wonder about it, which is this sense that the more that technology has come in, specifically labor-saving devices, right, the more uh, I think it was actually Charles Eisenstein when I first encountered this in one of his uh, earlier books. But he said that this, this idea that the more technology, the more labor saving that is introduced, there's always the promise of, then you'll have more time to do the things that you want to do, right? And the seduction there, of course, is, oh, great, you know, it'd free up time. And then, of course, I would spend more time with my kids. You know, I'd I'd make art. I'd I'd play the guitar for three hours, you know, in the sunshine. Like there's this sense, right? But of course, it seems that hasn't happened because, at least as he posits, right, at every turn, what actually happens is just everything speeds up, right? And mm-hmm. and it was actually Stephen Jenkinson, right, who said uh, something like that we've become prisoners of momentum, or at least the, certainly the youth have, right? And you know, I, when I was in uh, high school, there was no cell phones, right? There might have been pagers, who were kind of you know sneaking their way in the the occasional pager, but uh, I can't imagine what high school is like now, right, with the ubiquity of cell phones and constant fragmentation of attention and um, just this sense of pace, right, which I am I'm, I'm now often at the mercy of, right, work is just go, 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 you know, come home. And then to my son, right, I do become a bit of a, it was Alan B. Chinnan actually, who wrote a, a really great book as a follow up to Iron John called uh, Beyond the Hero, and uh, I interviewed him. Uh, for the podcast. And it's a great interview, but he talks about uh, how the father in this setup can also be somewhat of a trickster figure in the child's life, right? Where, you know, it comes home and all of a sudden this new energy is there. And I, I say this in a sort of, in a benevolent way, when there is that energy of, you know, all of a sudden things are different, you know, dad's home and, you know, with, with the right focus of attention and, excitement. And this is what I try to bring my son, right? I come home and I, you know, really try to pick him, love him up, you know, play with him, like just really arrive as opposed to often getting like you, Bly said, the temperament, right? Which happened to a lot of kids where it's like, oh, don't, don't say anything to dad because he's stressed out at the end of work day. And this is the mystery, right? And Bly talks about this, that the kid doesn't know what his dad did all day. He just knows that he comes back stressed, drained. And that's a consequence of Industrial civilization, where you know, when they're when the dad's in the field, uh, and the kid's there and sees what the dad's doing, let's say, working, you know, working the farm, working with the animal, it's like, oh, okay, cool, it's not a mystery, right? I see him, I see him laboring away, but when he goes off to some office or somewhere, right, and just comes home with the temperament, it's like, what devilish work must be going on out there? And he says that's actually where a lot of distrust starts to grow amongst the son to the father as well. So, may mm-hmm. I just pause there for a moment and see what might be stirred?
1: Well, what what came up for me was actually um, a lesson that I learned from bell hooks um, hmm. in the book Will to Change, in which she's talking to women about patriarchy and the effect of patriarchy on men. Um, and there was a passage in there in which she talked about the love between a mother and a child, or particularly the love between a mother and her son. And the love between the father and the son. Um, and what what you shared with me, why this is bringing, what why what you're sharing with me is bringing this up in particular, is because the love that the father brings is scarce. So there's mm-hmm. an idea that his love is far more important than that of the mother, because the, there's an abundance of that love. Mm-hmm. When the child is experiencing their mother day in, day out, morning, noon, night, right? It's timeless, it's abundant, it could be rich, it could be all that it promises to be. But when the father's not there and then comes home, all the residual energy from their day, the stressors, the isolation, the trauma, whatever it is, the, the lack of energy and everything like this, then there's only a few moments in there where a son or even a child could experience the father's love. Mm -hmm. So there's a scarcity there. There's a poverty there when the father's not available to their children. Right. So that's what stirred up for me when you were sharing that. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And then there's a starvation there. Right. Over time. There's a hunger there over time to a point where Okay, enough's enough. I didn't get it. I don't want it. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, If that love is not recognized, if that love is not claimed, if that love is not fed, right? You're gonna only try to starve the child for so long till the child says, you know what? Enough. I ain't getting it from you. I'll go figure it out myself. Mm -hmm. Right? Again, goes back to the question mark, when does a father stop being with a father? right? And what is the father providing? Right? I think there's, there's lessons in love. There's an experiential piece of love in there that a father still has to, is, needs to be responsible for. Right. Um, and if that there is on a, on a, on a, if that's, if that's constrained, if that's a sacrifice, if that's limited or whatever, and that scarcity is felt by the child, child ain't going to have much to do with you later.
0: Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. Thanks for that, Charles. No. <clears throat> I want to touch on uh, back now to our sort of main thread, which you brought up around this idea of provider and the source of nourishment. You know, and there's mm-hmm. this passage specifically from the text that I'd love to read now uh, mm-hmm. because this is an interesting, interesting comparison to make. Uh, but this is written uh, by Ben Murphy, who's one of the co-herds of the school, but he speaks about this idea of the breadwinner as uh, maybe a kind of modern uh, uh, function within a certain context, right? Versus the hunter, right? It's mm. the breadwinner as a sort of, you know, exactly what we've been talking about, the modern day thing, and then the hunter. And so mm-hmm. here's what he says, though, around this, which I thought was really interesting. He says, the hunter approaches direct relationship with the true provider of all nourishment. That holy presence, which offers the gift of some animal to be nourished by, and to bring back to the community. This straightforward relationship with killing and death brings with it a sobering humility. Meanwhile, the company man, and he says company man in the context of this sort of modern-day breadwinner, has perhaps come to believe that he is the provider, that he is the source of nourishment, rather than a vessel through which the archetype may work. Uh, At the heart of this folly lies a deep fearfulness, fearfulness and a compulsive assertion of the illusion of control. And then he goes on to say, etymologically speaking, to provide is directly connected to a forward-looking orientation. Quite literally, its components break down to forward-seeing. And so he says, um, therefore conjures a reckoning with the tension we feel in regards to meeting our basic needs. And he invokes the archetype, actually, of the season, which is Scrooge, right, of this uh, older masculine archetype of one who... Has so much already, or he has, you know, acquired so much, but is so unwilling to to provide, right? As a, and it's really interesting to see uh, that the 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 presence of that story, right? In the, I mean, maybe in the context of Santa Claus could be an interesting, you know, contrast because both are these older masculine figures, uh, in some ways, mythic figures. And here we have Santa, who's you know jolly, often depicted as larger, you know, larger bodied, uh, like essentially abundant, uh, and is giving constantly, right? But it gives without end. Like that's all. I guess that's all Christmas magic. You know, there's nothing, there's no end to that giving. Uh, and I don't mean necessarily the the you know sort of modern overuse of resources and you know the whole the whole uh, capitalist consumptive overlay on that. But I just mean this idea that to give. Is, an ab- is for is an abundant well like that's that's mm-hmm. what I'm hearing in that right through Santa mm-hmm. and then we have Scrooge who has acquired so much but is so unwilling to provide right to to even tiny Tim right who's this uh you know young child who who basically is perhaps could be seen even as not a, a son kind of figure right to him or maybe a grandson right and of course there's a whole transformation that happens throughout the the whole thing but I guess what I'm trying to bring that up is that to be a miser in this case seems to be the opposite of provider, and but why would somebody be miserly? And in that sense, and this is what Ben is, say, I think, saying is because they don't trust that the great provider would would provide would be uh, that they would be able to make contact with and to receive from this great provider, mm-hmm. right? So there's that fear, the anxiety that says, "Oh, I better get as much as I can." Uh, because who knows if there will be any to come. Mm, like, I, can't, right. I, can't, I can't see ahead enough to know, will well more come my way? So there's this like acquis- acquisitive kind of reactivity, mm-hmm. anxiousness mm-hmm. to it as this distortion of the provider. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'll leave it there. I'll see, I'm curious what comes up.
1: Yeah. When I was reading that piece there, there were a few things that came up for me too. Um, again, it goes back to, okay, who, what is it? I am bringing to this dance right am I bringing myself am I the value am I the thing I'm contributing or is it the thing that I'm after that I'm contributing I was thinking about the you know the the Scrooge right like it's all about this it's all about it's he's totally identified it's like he's the one that's of the value and the measurement of his value is what he's whatever his wealth he's accumulated it becomes about him Right, um, but it had me thinking about okay, is my value to my children what wealth I can accumulate for myself, right? Or there's something more to this, right? And I think of you know well, this is
0: interesting. Yeah, could I, I pause for a second? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, because yeah. it's interesting to to contrast again this sense of so on the one hand you might say that to be present as a father with right with your child to give full attention. Uh, and I think Bly even talks about this, this idea of that there's a certain masculine frequency, right? A certain, maybe may we call it like a father for, fathering frequency that is a kind of nourishment, right? To your to your kids. Yeah. Um, and oftentimes there's there's, you know, this critique against this idea of the father, say, always being out, you know, accumulating, you know, support or nourishment to provide. But if he's not home at all, there's a different kind of consequence, right. That accrues, right. Even if he's a quote, great at providing materially. Right. And, mm-hmm. and there's all sorts of stories, of course, of this sort of, you know, the father that's somewhat inept at em- empathy or, or, or connection and ends up, you know, Oh, I'll just buy you something, you know, because that's the only way I know how to try to give my love, you know, to you. Um, so there's, you know, that's a sort of pitfall there, obviously, but there is something around that, th- that you are also a gift. Right. To to your child, you are also nourishment in a in in there is a there is a way that that is also true. Right. Um, Which is an ego um, in the sense that I'm talking about. Right. Versus um, I think what you mean with Scrooge or this acquisitive kind of hoarder. Right. Which is um, is like tapping a different kind of uh, or or blocking a different kind of abundance of of presence that actually is uh, a nourishment for, for their children, for those around them. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, and, and yes. Um, there was a flood of things that just came into my head as you were sharing that. Because you also brought in the the Santa and the Scrooge. Once hoarding, once giving. But is the thing that's being given is what's needed? Hmm. Because come with Santa Claus is all the idea. Did you deserve it? Right. You know, got oh, your naughty no, and good had, list. Like... You got your naughty and good list. All, all that stuff is in there as well, right? Right? But if I was to draw it back to say, okay, well, am I the thing that my children need or is the thing that I'm bringing to the table is what my children need? and what the, I'm thinking is what I'm bringing to the table Um, is how do I show up in an integrity? Mm. Is what I say and what I do line up? What values am I, am I teaching or or contributing to my kid's life value me gaining virtue right um lessons on how to be a good human being right um that there's what i'm where i circle in in regards okay what, what is it that i'm truly contributing to? because they're they're watching me right they're watching me they're observing how i show up yeah. So if I fail to show up for them, if I fail to show up for them out of love, of curiosity, compassion, or concern, they're seeing that as an example of how a man shows up, how a father shows up, right? So mm-hmm. I might not be feeding them, physically feeding them or nurturing them day in, day out, but they're observing something in me. They're watching me and how I show up in the presence of them. And it's that example, I believe, is what we're providing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more than just bringing the dough, right? It's how I bring the dough, you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. and dough that's really interesting again to bread. <laughs> <Right>? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you, <laughs> it's funny no how meat that's here, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, the,
1: you believe that I'm all we tr- sustain is bread and dough
0: and, and nothing else. <laughs> I, uh, I'm very interested actually, and I wonder if anybody listening to maybe now or later or even within the school, could chase that down a bit more, specifically around bread, right? Um, yeah. Because I'm also thinking of uh, this understanding of, of table fellowship and to break bread, <clears throat> right, with others. That there's something, you know, you don't say share a barbecue. I, I mean, you could, right? You could. but <laughs> let's, let's break a steak. <laughs> yeah, but there's something about bread, right? Breaking of bread is somehow binding. Some, yeah. yeah, there's some kind of kidship. maybe maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. It's, it's, it's a binding. Well, thing. <laughs> gluten, gluten has all sorts of, you know, uh, critiques these days. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> but I do want to touch on that. This is interesting. Yeah, that that this this element of gifting as well. So because one thing I want to just name too, and then we can open it up, I think, for more questions to folks is this link between Giving as a uh, element of reward for behavior, right? And I'm going back now again to the Santa thing and the <clears throat> the way typically it's it's sort of measured, right? And in kids, you know, are you were you good this year? You know, okay, you know, maybe then you get your thing. And it's interesting to me to conceive of giving in that context versus giving in a in a say a traditional gift uh, achieved culture. Whereby giving gifting has a much different function, right? That it's not reward for good behavior, and the way that I understand it now is that it's actually a way of binding people together, right? And I'll, I bring this up too. This is an interesting, you know, sort of dovetail with our last time on the Orphan Wisdom Farm that we participated actually in a, a, a trading situation, right? Where it was a, it was a trade which you know i say gift trade there was an element of of that where essentially the the trading wasn't meant to be a kind of okay am i getting my value that i'm trading what you know when i'm trading but it was very clearly in the way that it, we we were led into it as a way of binding people together right to to ask something of each other uh to be consequential in each other's lives and that the the gifting itself was a way of doing that and you know that's what i understand and and how in that sense gifting has a lot of consequence but it's not because of good or bad behavior uh but mm. it's just interesting how in the context of you know christmas uh as it's now become right that it's more a, it's like a morality or uh yeah like a ethical uh barometer in some sense mm. right and, and what a yeah. distortion uh mm-hmm. because then there's no there's all sorts of entitlement. There's all sorts of expectation. There's all sorts of sort of automaticness in it, right? Well, what do you mean you didn't get a gift? Uh, as opposed to a real, you know, binding or strengthening of the of the bonds of relationship, which it, you know, there's in there too, certainly, but it just feels a little more uh, less less available uh, when it's just sort of you know, that's just what happens. Yeah. Um, anyway, I wanted to bring that up because I thought yeah, it was yeah.
1: There's a sort of automaticness in how we approach that gifting, you know, yeah. it's procedural, it's transactional, it's all of those things, right? Like, well, what do you mean? I, like, how do you, I, I don't hear that many children say, "What? I didn't get anything this this Christmas. I don't hear that, right? So mm-hmm. um, I, think there's, yeah. I think there's a privilege attached to it. I think there's an expectation attached to it. I think there's a lot of things. But to your other point there, too, regarding gifting, and that trade experience that we, we participated in. There's a seeing in there. Mm -hmm. There's an, an acknowledgement that I see you Mm -hmm. there's, and I think that's the binding part that we are actually in relationship now. It's not the matter of the thing that I'm trading with, right? It's the relationship that you and I are creating in the experience of that trade or the exchange, or the gifting, it becomes relational, is not transactional, Mm -hmm. right? Is that Mm -hmm. we're actually, the binding that I'm looking at is that, okay, I see you now. Mm -hmm. I hear you now. I recognize you now. And we don't have to come from the same part of the world, but I recognize who you are. I think that there's what happens. And in, in, in those experiences, when you, we are learning to gift or to trade at that level, right, is that we're learning to see each other. We're learning to see the value in each other. We're learning to see the qualities in each other. We're recognizing each other's ancestry. We're, learning, we're recognizing each other's culture. Mm-hmm. We're recognizing each other's language. Right? I think that's what happens. Um, and I think that's the part is missing when it talk, when you come talk about um, buying gifts for Christmas or birthdays and stuff like that. It, those things are just procedural now. Mm. They're they're transactional, but they're not they're not binding. For me, bind the binding part of Christmas is having a meal together, is experiencing eating at the same table. The food that that you know we have a particular combination of of foods that I make for Christmas and that there's what we come together around Mm -hmm. is the food it ain't the gifts Mm -hmm. right it's how we eat together Mm -hmm. right yeah
0: and I see it also as a thank you for that and I see it as a in some sense I yeah reenactment of uh, uh, resustaining the relationships Mm -hmm. right to come together in this cyclical way Around mm-hmm. this time, even mm-hmm. even if right, um, in, in a sort of religious framework uh, that it often accrues around or does accrue around the, the supposed birth of Jesus, mm-hmm. right, around this time. And yet, of course, a little ways prior to that, it's the solstice, right? It's a so, oh, coincidence, uh, the rebirth of the sun. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, of course, there's lots of now, you know, pop wondering and and. and Ar- archaeology and study around this sense of like, oh, it's interesting that you know this mm-hmm. happened to just sort of be moved right where the pagans also seem to celebrate. You know the birth of the the great sun again, um, right? And so, but again, this renewal of this cyclical uh, pattern, right? right the, the relationships uh, to come together mm-hmm. around the table again, right? To say mm-hmm. how has the year been? Um, mm-hmm. You know what? Who who are we to each other now? Right? All mm-hmm. of these questions, which maybe aren't so up front right there but there are mm-hmm. oftentimes they're there but they're below the surface at least i find right in most sort of mm-hmm. modern gatherings where that, that's not made explicit mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. through through more explicit ceremony or ritual ways of gathering even though of course ritual's right there ritual is the 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 rhythm right of coming together of, like you said cooking certain foods uh certain you know often hokey family rituals that you know have come up in and in, in my you know my family and you know, awkward and funny and also always part of it, you know, it seems to be. Um, so yeah, that's also in there too. That's a gift.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, you'll remember those moments though. I, I like for me, I yeah. don't remember so much what I got on Christmas when I was a child, but I remember the moments my, my family got together mm-hmm. and I saw my father and I saw my mother and I saw my grandparents and my cousin, like those are the things I remember. Right. Um, it's not so much the gifts or the presents or whatever we call, <laughs> you call them. Mm. But yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Well, interesting. Karen. Uh, Karen has a comment here too. I just could bring up, uh, which is about breadwinning. That uh, bread being called the body of Christ. Right. So the Christian attempt to bring spiritual nourishment into daily life. Father providing religious. Does the father then provide religious spiritual guidance for the family? Um. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. I mean, I could, I could wonder about that first, but maybe I'll leave it to you. Just what comes up when reading that?
1: Well, like the, thank you for the connection to Body of Christ. Uh, that totally, yeah. The, uh, being b- born, born and raised Catholic, that totally resonates for me. That I, it conjures up a lot of things that I've learned over <laughs> when I was young. But the part there, the the second Pete about providing the the spiritual guidance, right? I think that's, I think there's something in there in which the father provides the child. It's not so much nourishment or nurturing in which the mother brings food. Because remember, the first part of the child's life is is breastfeeding. The mother is the source of nourishment that sustains a child. Father, I believe, brings the virtue, brings the spirituality, brings the guidance, brings the direction. And in connection with the outer world right in connection with the outside world outside of the home being how do they integrate how do they show up and then going back to the other word i used before, before regarding integrity is one thing how how you learn to show up inside your home but how do you show up outside in the world right how do you show up inside in the home and how do you show up outside of the world and i think that there is a role of father fathering is to be the example of how do you show up in the, in, in, in the rest of the world
0: problem mm. thank you for that too that that link of integrity is also something that was brought forth uh in the in the solar session right up and you yeah. know as 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 this conversation is circling too around this sense of uh i mean like karen also said they're providing religious or spiritual guidance for the family here's a good story is uh so my family we left uh i was initially also raised uh, in a sort well sort of Roman Catholic backdrop. You know, my grandmother came from Ireland, super, you know, in uh, lifelong, you know, Roman Catholic. and that my family left, or my dad, especially, you know, he kind of was like, well, you know, uh, not quite for me, you know, this kind of, and departed in that sense, explored a bit. And then eventually, in my, my family, he conjured up a, uh, a I don't know what to call it, but like living room sermon right which we do every sunday for probably was a good year if i recall you know i was in my early teens i think and he would you know in that attempt to provide some kind of spiritual um, presence in in this is in your home this is in the living room yeah this is uh (laughs) and it and it was just our family right it wasn't like invite the neighbors but it was just you know we would have the chairs lined up and we'd come in and he'd have like you know this kind of orchestral music playing and he had a suit on. And, you know, and he would actually read, uh, I don't recall, it wasn't uh, Bible scripture. I, it might have been a quote or two, but, you know, he had a multiple sources. I think ultimately, I, I he would understand, and he's in this world still, and I'm grateful for that. And he would, I think he would call himself agnostic now, right? Which I understand is a bit of, well, there's something, but I don't quite know what it is. Uh, yeah. But uh, but at that time as well, he was like, you know what, I he felt the, the call to provide a spiritual nourishment to our family. Mm-hmm. So he mm-hmm. created this little Sunday sermons, right? And and we come and he'd read these quotes and we you know, talk about it as a family. And definitely there was a lot of kind of, you know, jokes made about, you know, the teens on us were just like, come on, dad, what is this? And yet, you know, that's pretty bold, I think, of him yeah. to really try to take that on. And Absolutely. later in the, yeah, in the years later when we talked about it and I said, Hey, do you remember that? Or he asked me actually, do you remember that? I said, of course I remember that. And he said, yeah, yeah I really felt like in the absence of any, Religious affiliation, right? Because we yeah. didn't have one then. By that point, yeah. he was like, "I wanted to provide some kind of religious uh, mm-hmm. or, or spiritual—I should say—spiritual uh, mm-hmm. component." And mm-hmm. you know, I think that's in many ways pretty neat um, to 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 remember that time, right? And to that, yeah, that nurse, he really explicitly attempted to do that.
1: That is that is brilliant. <laughs> I still remember. I think that's, yeah. I think that's really brilliant. But you know what I love about that story that it it, it, it again it's, it's 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 bringing the relationship aspect of what it is to be a father and show up as a man in your family, mm-hmm. that's relational to me, right? Like, you know, I I get my, my my experiences with my fathers, and I and I say for with my grandfather, including my grandfather, and that mm-hmm. uh, wasn't about spirituality per se in the, when we got together. But we had lively conversations about politics, about sports, about, you know, what's going on in the world and everything like that, which was just as rewarding and deep and rich. And, you know, there was a certain quality just to see men talking about stuff and sharing their perspectives and whatnot. um, That fed me. Right. That fed me big time. Um, And those were priceless moments for me, you know. Those were priceless moments for me. The other one, the other one I'll just share briefly is the whole barbershop. You know, mm-hmm. there was many years when I was growing up as a kid, you know, I would go, go get my hair done um, and I'll stand, I'll sit in the barbershop for hours and watch and listening to men talking about their experiences with their, with their spouses, with their sons and daughters, with all these. And you're just absorbing this stuff. And there's so much richness in there, Right. To understand that there's so many different experiences um and 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 wantings and longings and dreamings and stuff like that when you have that space for men to show up that way you just it's just it just gets in your dna it just gets in your skin right but what it reminds me of when i'm just going back a little bit we we're talking about technology and it's and we're talking about technology in the sense that we design technology to save us in labor so we can do other things to be honest with you, I think technology is taking away from the labor of being a father. Mm-hmm. That the technology is becoming a surrogate for being a father. When I see a child at a dinner table in a restaurant, or wherever, and they got the iPad and the iPhone and God knows whatever else sitting on the table, and there's no engagement between the son and the father, there's no fathering happening in there. And I can imagine what's happening at home. Mm-hmm. The father could be in the face of their child and be completely absent. That's what it's showing me. So this technology, this trend of using technology, I think has gone to a place where it's actually destroying the relationship between father and son or father and child to a place where it's what it's, it's now in replace of the father now,
0: mm-hmm.
1: no, I don't think that's, I don't think that's what it, I don't think that's the kind of labor it was supposed to replace right it was how to be a father mm-hmm. but i'm and i'm sad about that when i see a child glued to their device and the father's sitting right there glued to his even there's no fathering happening in there
0: mm-hmm. yeah no i mean i it, it strikes a chord for sure that the it's just like a clear ghosting right that's what i think the, the ghost of fathering uh, or yeah. fathering ghosted it yeah seems.
1: yeah exactly
0: Exactly. Yeah. Well, how about we round out the last, I'm really appreciating the, 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 the journey of our conversation and to all of you also tuned in live, deeply appreciate your your presence here. And uh, those who've left comments as well, and maybe one more round, we'll open it up. If any folks have some, uh, some questions, you know, they want to ask to us here uh, in this journey of Capricorn and, and the provider. Uh, we'll, we'll stay tuned here on the, on the chat, on the side there. Mm-hmm. And as we wait for a few of those to come in one thing i did want to return to is something that was said in the earlier portion of the of the write-up for the solar uh, session which is this idea of capricorn as the sign of limits restrictions and containment Mm. yeah right and uh yeah it's something you know that came to me even as i heard you talk about the kid and the you know device and that there's something around what does it mean to put limits even on, on absenteeism, right. Uh, Or to, to, to invoke, not demand in a sense, to demand to show up or demand presence, right. In a sense. But I often find that my role with my son, right. Is one of containment. Right. And, and I don't mean suppression. I mean, he's four, right. So big energy, you know, he's, he's just, uh, you know, jumping around and wrestling and, you know, but there's something around, containing the energy while still uh, navigating it, right, that to me feels very much about this function and and fathering as a function. And I've even heard this is, I can't remember, some write-up around, you know, the data with men who didn't grow up with a lot of physical, uh, I would say being met physically by an older male figure, Right, like a father, right? In their younger years, have a lot of difficulty in self-regulation. Right, have difficulty in uh, navigating their own emotional um, volatility. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. because they did they weren't met with a certain masculine limitation uh, mm-hmm. where they could find their limits. Right, mm-hmm. and actually that that was actually a service to them. Right, mm-hmm. and in this case, I'm not talking about yeah, of course, like a punitive. Um, mm-hmm. you know, spanking, you know, this kind of, I'm not t- quite talking about that, but I'm saying that there's something around this containment, this limit, this restriction that was actually of service, right? And especially even, you know, as a teenage uh, parent or when when your uh, child goes into teenagehood, that seems to be even more apparent, right? There's this whole idea that no limit teenagehood is actually bad for them, right? Like a, mm-hmm. it kind of uh, creates almost no, no way for them to know who, what's, what's beyond, you know, what's useful to them or not, or what's the bounds of their uh, own Mm -hmm. being, it seems Mm -hmm. to me. So yeah, Mm -hmm. I'd be curious to hear your set of that journey.
1: Yeah, that there, that there woke up a few curiosities for me, right? When we talk about the limit or the containment of what it is to father. Mm -hmm. And there's a part of me that went to, well, how many, how many men, Fail to live up to the promise of fathering. If you think of it as a container, that they did not live up to the potential of their fatherhood, right? And how many of men have gone beyond that, assumed too much, and those limits have been broken. And I could see in those realms, there was disconnect, abuse, trauma, such and such, things like that. But then I also went to... Okay. If I'm, if I, if I am living in integrity in fathering, um, there's also an aspect and uh, there was a few words in that part, part about narrowing, um, diminished diminishment came up for me or fine tuning or whatnot. I think over time, the needs of the child determines to what degree I father. Mm -hmm. Right. I think when the child is small, and it's and it's you know it, it doesn't have the coordination or the skill or whatever to carry itself. So, you know, there's a lot more energy involved in it, and being a lot of more physicality involved in being a father. But as that child grows, there, there's a fine-tuning to how you show up as a father, and almost almost to some degree a finality to it. Right, meaning that there's a part where and I'm at this age now where my children don't need me so much. So what I can contribute to their life is actually very narrow, could be very rich, could be very well purposeful, but it's very narrow now. It's very specific now. Um, You know, so I think there and I think this is where the dance between the father and the child is, you know, your ability or your function as a father is determined by your children, not by you.
0: this is interesting. Yeah. Thank you for that. Because in that sense, I hear fatherhood as responsive, right? And it also makes me think of my understanding of elderhood, el- like elder as a function, not a person, right? And so it's cr- it's conjured by the circumstance, by the moment, right? Who's there and what's needed, um, that that's what's being responded to. And in that sense, um, that is a skill that fathering, I hear in this context is a skill, right? It's not a given, it's not an all the time. It's like, it's purposeful. Uh, it's, it's attuned. Right. And you know, like yeah. how you said, the narrow, yeah, like you said, the narrowness, right. Of, of the fathering, or um, it narrows as the child grows over to older often and probably ends up being, yeah, again, more, uh, more, more sort of spacious and then potent. That's, I guess what I'm, I'm tracking Mm. right because maybe there's yeah, 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 like deep transformation might happen in the life of your kid, right? Maybe you know further apart, and yet there are moments when actually the potency of your precise fathering could be called upon, and and the willingness to recognize that right and to show up for that in those moments feels part of that achievement. Um, Yeah, and maybe the last quote I can too I can read here with you so beautifully kind of teed up this Ursula K. Le Guin quote, which is actually what opens the, the solar uh, uh, write-up for the Capricorn. But um, I'll read it here, maybe, and then we can find our way to to to, to wind our beautiful conversation today. Mm. So the quote, uh, again, from a sci-fi writer, she's mostly known as a sci-fi writer, who I believe died uh, somewhat recently, actually, uh, Ursula K. Le Guin. Uh, but she wrote, you thought as a boy that a mage is one who can do anything. Mm. So I Right, and so I thought once, so did we all. And the truth is that as a man's real power grows, and his knowledge widens, ever the way he can follow grows narrower. Until at last, he chooses nothing. See, so this is this is too good. I'll pause it for a second. Until at last, he chooses nothing. So, to me, you know, of course, one might misunderstand that as like, oh, well, he just, so he just kicks back and has a pina colada. It's like no, <laughs> right? He, he, yeah. he what he he can follow grows narrower. I picture that right, like this, like you're saying, young child. It's like oh, you're just you know, and I feel this. I'm just you know, constantly you know, riding this uh, little chaos storm. I call him a like a, a, a demon of entropy, <laughs> right? And, yeah. and 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 you know, so it is this this like wide dance, and then I mm-hmm. see it narrowing, right, as you say. Um, the older they get. And then it says, until at last he chooses nothing, but does only and wholly what he must do. And there's something yeah. deep, right? Of that. this, oh, there is no other choice, but the choice that's obvious. And then yeah. the willingness to do that choice. Yeah. Uh, and what he must do. There's something yeah. so stirring in that, right? So yeah, uh, calling forth.
1: I, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, And I I love that particular passage. It was something so like that, that narrowing, the wisdom, all those little layers were in there. Um, And I think if you if we were. What did that bring up for me? There was a few things that are brought up for me specifically, but I think there's a sense of maturity as a man to recognize that your time is going to get there. Right. I think there's that needs to be a bit of an acceptance. That that there's your passage, right? I think that when you hit that marker, that's another transformational moment in a man's life, or in a father's life, right? Is knowing that you're going to get to a place where you're going to be called forth when they need you, and you got to be ready, and that's your only function at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, I think, that's yet there's a sense of freedom in there, but there's also a sense of purpose and meaning in that right? Um, and, and and it should be like that. Because then you're, you're, you're now it's your children's turn. Right? To live their life. And your fathering needs to end. Right? Your fathering needs to end. For them to know, okay, how do I stand up now? Mm-hmm. Right? How do I show up now as a father? Or as a mother or whatever it is, right? Like, there needs to be a time where the father just needs to put it put his cloak on the wall, accept the gold, the, the gold watch, <laughs> sit his rocking chair, have a whiskey. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> say my job's here is
0: This conjures, yeah, this conjures so interesting. So you say fathering done, but perhaps is that when grandfathering begins? D- there right? you go. And, That's the next you, phase, right? And you had a beautiful, yeah, image there of yourself, right? Of being home and young, and the, your grandfather was there, right? Whereas your father, yeah, had had things to tend to, but there was some other kind of grandfathering uh, that is something to wonder about, even to itself, um, which oh, yeah. you know, too big for this conversation today. But <laughs> but uh, there's something something right about that, maybe to to end it there. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, Charles. Again, what a beautiful time uh, together here, wondering the first solar session of the new year, Capricorn and the provider. I hope you've enjoyed this as much as I have.
1: Oh, I have. Thank you very much for inviting me in.
0: Mm. And for those that are curious to check out more of your work, I happen to have your website right here. Thank and, you. Uh, for, Yeah, for those that are uh, visually able to see this, uh, this is suwasing.com, but I'll spell it mm-hmm. for those who are listening uh, to the audio only version dot gcom You can check out more of Charles' work, his writings, um, you know, just a multitude of offerings. And I heard a podcast mm-hmm. might be in the works as well.
1: It's working. It's getting there. It's getting there. <laughs> Thank you, Ian. Yeah. Thank you very yeah. much.
0: Okay. And thanks to everyone to, uh, who came and joined us here live and for those that will listen in and uh, who will join us in the School of Mythopoetics. Uh, thank you so until soon once again thank you so much for listening to this bonus episode of the Mythic Masculine Podcast and if you're intrigued by these solar sessions I would encourage you to go check out schoolofmythopoetics.com and join us as a scholar you'll get access to all of the year now pretty much a full year now of Uh, the solar sessions as well as connect with a community of like-hearted like-minded folks who all really dig this stuff of mythology story culture ritual wonder and uh, it's a beautiful place and i hope you consider joining us